Jerry, once again, finding songs about the days of the week. Songs I didn't even know existed. Mm-hmm. Jerry, what's this one? It's Wednesday's song. Is it Elvis Why? Costello? Uh, that's John Frischinetti. John Frischinetti, of Let's course. Let's hear a little bit more of John Frischinetti. Okay, I think that's enough. <laughs> 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 so, uh, good morning, Brett. Good morning, Mr. Mack. Or Mackling. is it Fred, or is it... Uh, I've been wh- called Fred. What is your name? It's Brett. Are you sure? Maybe you might, maybe you'll hear Fred. Maybe you'll hear Brat or Brick. Well, my grade three teacher called me Brick once, and all, all the kids laughed at me, and then I cried. Oh, hey, I, was a baby. Um, I think it's early enough that I can share this story. I think it was last year or the year before... One of Brendan's teachers accidentally called him Brenda. Oh, God. Yeah. It was a rough few weeks after that from one of my boys. Let me tell you that. Oh, God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, you know, reading and just no N was pretty simple. Uh, What do you hear when you hear this clip? Have you got it? Laurel. Laurel. First, thank you, Jerry, for turning on my audio. I forgot, realized I had forgotten. Uh, I hear Laurel. Thank goodness you hear Laurel. What do you hear? I hear Laurel. Laurel. Jerry? All morning I've heard Yanni. Okay. Until you just heard it Until now. I just heard it now and I heard Laurel. <laughs> yeah, it's weird. And uh, I have a piece of tape here that we can uh, maybe get to. But uh, I in it, they separate, they, they like alter the pitch. So the first time I listened to this audio, I heard Yanni. I thought, oh, that's interesting. But then when I listened back to it, I hear Laurel. I will say that this is the edited version. When I just heard the clip for the very first time, I heard Laurel all the way. And uh, I've since been, I've tumbled down the rabbit hole for the last half hour or so trying to figure (laughs) out how to separate it. Because I know there, we have access to audio editing programs here, of course. And I was trying to manipulate the pitch to duplicate some efforts. Not quite good enough. Maybe Jerry can uh, figure it out. But someone has gone in. This is a pitch shift down 30%. Yanni. Yanni. Do you hear it? I hear Yanni now. That was Yanni. Yeah. Yeah, For sure. This is down 20%. Yanni. Still. Yanni. I would say still Yanni. But now this is up 20%. Laurel. Not even close. Laurel. I know. So this is the new dress thing. It is. Like a dress that's either gold and white or blue and black. The two seemingly unrelated words, Yanni and Laurel, are threatening to split the internet in half. On Tuesday, (laughs) Chloe Feldman, a social media influencer and vlogger, posted a seemingly obvious question on her Instagram story, which she then cross-posted to Twitter. What do you hear, Yanni or Laurel? Accompanied by a recording of a computerized voice that is clearly saying Laurel. Yeah. Except. Many are hearing Yanni, and there is some science to this. And actually, why don't I just play, this is from, uh, what have you... <laughs> just, it goes on in this Vox article, you know how Vox, they'll, they'll write in first person, right? Yeah. Some maniacs, some of whom I work with, swear they hear Yanny, <laughs> even though the recording in the plainest English says the word Laurel. Some even claim to be able to hear both words at once. Well, let me play something for you here. This is 
like I said, I tumbled quite quickly down the hole here. This is from The Independent, independent.co.uk, where it's sort of explained why you might hear one or the other. Laurel. Laurel. The world is being torn apart by an argument over whether a robot voice is saying Laurel or Yanni. But the interesting thing is, it's actually saying both. So some people are hearing the robot voice say Laurel, and some people are hearing it say Yanni, but actually it's saying both at once and your brain is picking between the two. But it does so for a variety of different reasons that might actually say more about you than you realise. Um, some of it's kind of obvious. One of the voices is higher and one of the voices is lower. So if your headphones are especially tinny or especially bassy, they might, it might pick one or the other. But there are also more personal things like the fact that younger people are more likely to be able to hear higher, higher sounds. So the higher pitched voice is going to sound more prominent to people who are younger and their lower pitch voice is going to sound more prominent to people who are older. Now because the two sounds are happening at once, and because they're distinct on the basis of pitch, we can actually pick them apart to show you the one that you're maybe not hearing. Using um, an EQ that picks the different frequencies of the sound, we can change what you can hear. And in this video we're going to um, pull them apart so that hopefully if you're hearing Laurel, you'll hear Yanni, and if you're hearing Yanni, you'll hear Laurel and you'll get to see what the other people are talking about. Okay, so before the demonstration continues here, so now what they've done on this video is they're showing you the audio editing program. Right. And you've got the audio in front, and you can see the cursor there the, where they're dragging the pitch down. So when I first watched this video, mm -hmm. I heard Yanni, and then I, in, in the first demonstration, and then when they changed it back, I heard Laurel. Now I can only hear Laurel, so let's see what my brain perceives. So you heard Yanni from the outset? No, no, no. From the beginning, I heard Laurel. Gotcha. But then in this demonstration, when they changed the pitch, okay. I was able to hear Yanni very clearly. Just making sure your brain is normal. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, so here's... They're, now they're, they're manipulating the audio. See what you hear. Laurel. Laurel. For me, not even close. It's all Laurel now. But when what? I when I heard you just heard Yanni? Yes. Okay. See, this is what this our brains are now picking and choosing. Oh, what a foobar. Okay, I'm going to play that again and see if, we, if this so you heard Yanni just now. Oh yeah. Okay. Laurel. Laurel. As clear as I heard Laurel the first time I heard the clip. Okay, so that's exactly how I reacted when I first heard them do this edit. And now I can only hear Laurel, and I don't, I don't get it. So, <laughs> so this is. Somebody just texted and said, "I hear Jerry." <laughs> okay, so I'm gonna play it one more time. And now here comes another version. Little music interlude. Laurel. That's Laurel. Laurel. So it seems that the older you get, the more prone you are to hearing the bass. Uh, and I guess it depends on the kind of speaker you're listening to. Maybe the headphones, as you pointed out, if you have really tinny headphones. Wow. You might be more inclined to hear Yanni. But, uh, yeah, this is driving me crazy. Doesn't this frighten you when it comes to AI? And we were talking about that Google app yep. that, uh, you know, manipulates and can create a voice to make dinner reservations for you, etc. People on the other end, based on the pitch manipulation and the equalizer, may be able to change your very words, just not by editing the words, but just changing the pitch at which they're heard. That's frightening. Text us, 204-780-6868. What do you hear? We have one text that says, hashtag Team Yanni.
Though last night I did hear Laurel. <laughs> Thank you, Jeff Braun. There was some lyrics I spoke over. Do you want to play that from the beginning again? <laughs> oh. <laughs> Jerry says during Jeff's news, I have a song that I'm going to play, and it has some cool lyrics, so don't talk over the lyrics. <laughs> so does GMAC do? Talks right over the lyrics. Sorry, Jerry. I forgot to. Forgive me. I forgive you. Thank you. <laughs> As we all know, one of the coolest things about the Jets' playoff run has been the Whiteout Street Party, Whiteout Way. Regardless of the numbers, I think we can all agree that it's been an amazing event in spite of some of the criticisms of the last few days. Thousands of people converging upon downtown Winnipeg. It's been a point of pride seeing on all on television all those Jets fans crowded into the street to cheer on their team and their city. The parties haven't just united fans and brought people together. It's also boosted business by as much as 200%. At least that was the case. They planned for 27,000 fans, but Monday night's attendance was only 11,000. One of the smallest crowds since the party began. Stefano Grande is executive director of Downtown Winnipeg Biz. Stefano, do you think the confusion around making this a ticketed event turned people away? I, I don't think so because it's still free. And obviously we're trying to uh, ensure that there's a good balance between uh, managing the space in terms of the safety of everyone and encouraging everyone to come down and be part of the whole whiteout experience. What are businesses saying to you before the ticketing? Were there far more people downtown? Have you heard from them expressing the desire to change the ticketing and go back to the old system? You know, our businesses are still full. <laughs> You'll have to come at 2 o'clock in the afternoon to reserve a, a seat, particularly if it's in front of a television. Uh, but no, uh, in fact, uh, if anything, we're putting out the messaging uh, that we've got dozens of restaurants in our downtown. And uh, whether or not you're coming to the uh, street party, we want you to come downtown and uh, take in the ambiance uh, that exists uh, in all of our restaurants that are showcasing the uh, the event. One of the, the comments that we've been hearing is just this whole ability to go A on a whim without a ticket. But what happens is when you show up without a ticket or in a situation where the area is full, you now have an opportunity to go and explore the downtown and find another place to watch the game, which was certainly the case in the first two rounds when these were non-ticketed events. Do you think we're missing out on that opportunity of people organically stumbling upon a place that they maybe hadn't otherwise or wouldn't otherwise discover? Well, I, I think people are discovering the restaurants and the development that's occurring you know, as people are walking into our downtown. I mean, clearly what we're seeing is almost three full turns in our restaurants, especially immediately close to the MTS Center. We know there's a 10 to a 10 to 200% increase in sales of all of our business members involved in the restaurant and drink industry. That 10% is a little bit further out. And so we definitely have a lot of capacity for the crowds to come downtown be part of that vibe, you know, whether, you know, whether it's a restaurant right next to the MTS center or whether it's a restaurant five or six blocks away. So, uh, and so what's really incredible is the vibe that starts around one or two o'clock. It's like our sidewalks are filled with people with white Jets jerseys and it's worth, uh, it's worth the experience alone. Now, Stefano, regardless of 
why there were only 11,000 versus 27,000. Do you, I mean, it's still 11,000 people in the streets of downtown Winnipeg on a Monday night, uh, right beside a building that has 15,000 people in it. So do you think that we're maybe overreacting a little bit here? Why? I I think so. There's so many different variables. Uh, I couldn't even attend because I was coaching my soccer team. And I was like, oh, do I cancel my soccer soccer game? I was like, no, I have to go to the soccer game. But so I think there's so many different variables that come into play. Uh, but I, I think you'll start to see the crowds come back as, you know, as the, the series continues and as we get closer to that, that, uh, that, that magic cup. Uh, uh, but I'll take, uh, you know, I'll take 11,000 people downtown any, any, any day of the week. <laughs> so, Stefano, how do we keep this going? I mean, fans... Of course, they want this to go to the Stanley Cup final. But going forward, the big question would be, how do you get, for example, even an extra 3,000 people downtown on a regular basis? I mean, the, the secret here that uh, is, is uh, really important is that these events occur downtown, especially in the summer, every weekend you'll find something downtown, whether it's our mini fest, which occurs in September, and that attracts 70,000 people over three days. So that's a huge event. Or whether it's the Jazz Festival or the Fringe Festival, uh, there's a series of uh, festivals that occur throughout the downtown uh, every single week. And so maybe part of you know part of the uh, part of the uh, uh, learning curve here is that there's wonderful things happening in our downtown, whether or not there's a Jets playoff run. And so this is just an opportunity for us to emphasize the fact that uh, downtown's alive, full of festivals and events uh, every weekend in the summertime and more and more in the wintertime as well. I've mentioned this several times on air that I overheard a conversation about people suggesting that this is what my downtown should look like. This is what redevelopment looks like. This is what engagement by the public looks like. So what have we learned about safety and what people are inclined to do when this is almost like the appetizer, right? For people that don't typically come downtown, this is an opportunity for them to get a taste of what happens as you're mentioning on a regular basis. What are we learning about that? Well, I think what we're learning is how, uh, how important it is uh, for collaboration to take place with our various city departments and organizations like the Biz and Economic Development Winnipeg and True North and, and how there's this huge appetite for people to actually come and visit our downtown for different reasons, whether it's the NHL party uh, uh, this month or Manifest next month or, or, uh, or the Take Pride Parade uh, as well. Uh, so being open uh, to closing down streets, using some, some fun spaces, doing things a little bit differently uh, as a means of celebrating our downtown, getting people here uh, for other than, other than you know, uh, the reasons that we're traditionally known for, which is working and, and, and now more and more living or um, you know, going to university uh, and even shopping to, to some extent. So it adds another layer, a market layer to attract people to our downtown. Uh, but it also sheds light that uh, over, uh, this might surprise you, but over a million people per year already come downtown for festivals and events. Uh, and so uh, I think what, uh, what the Jets party has done is really taken us to the next level and gives us, uh, gives us courage to keep going in that direction, close down a few more streets. In fact, uh, we're taking over two streets this summer on Kennedy and Hargrave. We're doing some pop-up parks. 
there's going to be some programming, some pianos, some ping pong tables. And so it doesn't have to be crowds of 15,000. We'll take you know little crowds of 100 in every corner, every pocket of our downtown any day of the week as well. Stefano Grande, Executive Director of Downtown Winnipeg Biz. Thank you very much, sir. And Greg, I'll just quickly say this. I, I appreciate Stefano's optimism and his positivity regarding this subject. Uh, regarding the ticketing thing of the Whiteout Party, mm-hmm. listen, I mean, I think the Whiteout Parties are sensational. Seeing it on the TV, on NBC, thousands of Winnipeggers in the streets, it just looks so good for our city. And yes, 11,000 is still a lot of people, but the common thread that I seem to be hearing from various walks of life is that the ticketing screwed it up. Yep. Um, and we've got one here, a text message here saying, a couple saying, uh, 27,000 down to 11,000, and it had nothing to do with the ticket fiasco? Of course it did. Come on. And then another person says, how much less revenue from 14,000 potential beer drinkers? That's right. Yeah. So I think that uh, the ticket, and they've also said throughout this whole thing, we're learning as we go. 100%. This is a new thing. I think they were doing a great job. I think that, and I, I don't want to, I don't want to say, you screwed up. But it may be, as you put it, a misstep. A misstep, for sure. Mackley McGarry joined by Shanley Vidal, Kelly Moore, Jeff Braun, the omnipresent behind the glass. Jerry is always here. You going camping? May long? You're in luck. Maybe. The province has lifted its booze ban for campgrounds across the province. Global News reporter Diana Foxall has the details. It's been in place for more than 20 years, but this coming weekend, the Victoria Day weekend liquor ban on Manitoba's campgrounds is no more. Sustainable Development Minister Rochelle Squires says they've seen an 80% drop in alcohol-related issues in parks since the ban was imposed. We know that the majority of Manitobans want to get out and enjoy the great outdoors and are responsible uh, consumers of alcohol, and so we are facilitating that. There will still be certain bays of Birds Hill and Grand Beach campgrounds kept liquor-free. Kendra says she has friends who pick their campsites based on whether or not they can consume alcohol there. I have a ton of friends who are going to be very, very excited about that. They go camping every May long weekend and I'm sure I'm going to hear a lot about it. I hope it doesn't cause any problems at campsites, but hopefully people can be respectful about their partying. Minister Squires says they'll see how this May long goes and reevaluate the ban's status for next year. She also says given the dry conditions, the province may impose further bans on campfires. Now, I'm not saying the ban in the first place was all my fault, but I'm going to tell you this. <laughs> you, you you contributed to Correct. it. Correct. Same here. And I think uh, for the most part, when we camped en masse, we were quite respectful, but I would not have wanted to been ever camping next to the group of friends that used to go camping at Grand Beach on May long weekend. Uh, maybe it's just a sign of my age, and now that I'm in the club, I don't want anybody else <laughs> in the club. But I think this is this is this is crazy. The band is working so well. We're going to get rid of it, Jeff. Yeah, my friends and I we were the same thing. Uh, they, this band came in when I was 19. I remember we were really mad when they instituted the band, and I honestly I don't think I've been camping since um, because we, we were. Like you say, we weren't, you know, the guys getting arrested or anything like that, but we were making noise till the sun came up. And it would have been a nightmare to have been camping beside us. I, I don't mind them bringing it back now, at least giving it a shot. I don't think, I don't think it 
the kids drink like they used to. When yeah, we that, were kids. there might be that. There might be that to it. And I mean, and announcing it on a Tuesday, four days before the weekend starts, <laughs> they don't have time to you know assemble anyways. So. <laughs> You know what I mean? Most of, most of camping spots already taken, so by people who assumed they wouldn't be able to drink, I don't think there's people gearing up for a rowdy weekend. I yeah. don't know why we even continue the conversation after we go to Jeff, because he's always the voice of reason. He just uh, settles it down. Brett? I w- hate camping, so <laughs> I would not be able to survive it without alcohol. So I, 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 I don't know why you can't have... Uh, non-alcoholic campground and a campground with where alcohol is permitted. Yeah. That way, those who are looking to have uh, perhaps a rowdier time can go to this campground and families can go to this campground. I don't know why you have to put them side by side. I used to go to Red Lake Falls for tubing in Minnesota, and I always felt bad for the families who were there because, to me, the Red Lake Falls was a party mm, kind yeah. of spot where, mm-hmm. where lots of young people would go and there'd be lots of liquor being consumed. So... and. Yeah, separate them. Just separate them. I think that's well, the best way to go. When I was a teenager, we had a we had a ban on alcohol in provincial parks. Uh, I grew up in Ontario, um, and so what happened on long holiday weekends when all the teenagers wanted to go out camping, they went to the private campgrounds, and all the families went to the provincial campgrounds. Right, which is what I think has started to happen here in Manitoba. And it worked out well, and it was a boon for the private campgrounds right. because uh, they have yeah. a lot more people on those weekends. Kel? Yeah, it, it's like when you go to the big outdoor concerts, you have your festival area and you have your family area. So just, uh, Brett, makes great sense. Just have it designated, and then you can go to the area that best fits your lifestyle. If you want to be up all night having a great time, go to the festival area. If you want to get a good night's sleep, Go to the family area. To me, it's it's not rocket science. It it just seems too easy. Shanley, what do you think? Uh, I think uh, I'm not a camping person. I mean, day trips are yes, fine. Yes, you have to meet people. I know, and I have to lie outside, <laughs> you know, night. But camping next to people who are partying and drinking would just be a complete nightmare for me. That would just be the absolute worst. I do like the idea of having having two separate separate campsites. But, you know, I want to give the benefit of the doubt to the people who are going to be camping and dr- drinking. And I'd like to believe that people are going to be responsible and courteous and, you know, hmm. not disrupt their neighbors hmm. too much. But, I mean, I'm hoping that in a year from now, we're not going to be having the reverse conversation. Oh, alcohol ban reinstated. Shannon <laughs> yeah. well, I realize you don't like to meet new people, but have you ever met a drunk person? Not exactly courteous. <laughs> Typically not. Now, this is, this is a great uh, point, I think, by Jeff, who says, uh, I used to, not Jeff Braun, uh, Jeff on text, I used to do seasonal camping at Grand Beach every summer, and the booze ban applied to us as well. It was ridiculous that we could not have a glass of wine with dinner on opening weekend. And I agree on that sure. front, absolutely, right? There needs to be some sort of reasonable... Middle ground on stuff like this. Maybe just make the ban apply to 35 and under. Because oh, it's not a, that's it's usually ages not, a man. I know, but I mean, you think it's like a bunch of senior citizens out there that are causing all the disruptions? Mick says, it's bloody well time this ban got lifted. Boozed up wackos exist every day of the year to imagine one weekend as being problematic over all others is delusional at best. He goes on to say several other things I cannot say on the air. Just want to quickly ask you, do you hear Yanni or Laurel? Laurel. 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 Now let Yanny. Me, 
Yanny. Well, here, Laurel. let me play it. This is again, this is the pitch is shifted down 30%. Yanny. Yanny. Very clearly, he sounds like Yanny to me. Me too. But this is shifted up 20. Laurel. Laurel. Sounds like Laurel. That sounds like Laurel. Okay, okay. All right. What are you hearing just when it is normal? It's dividing the internet and Twitter and, you know, we had to uh, bring this to your attention because eh, sometimes we like to have fun around here. Yes, we do. We don't have to go camping on a long weekend with a with a 12-pack of kokanee and a case of Labat 50 to have fun on the long weekend, but you can now. Kokanee. Got to bring some what the hell is by torque. Oh, absolutely. I would now. I, I For my 18th birthday, I was in BC and I brought home a 24 uh, flat of kokanee and kokanee wasn't available in Manitoba yet. Nice. I guarded that uh, stuff with my life. A report on Manitoba's mental health and addiction services is being challenged after the government revealed it was altered in the weeks leading up to its release. The draft report was sent to the government March 31st, but six weeks later, changes were made. Global News reporter Amber McCookin has more. Uh, I didn't ask him to make any changes. Manitoba's health minister is adamant. He did not ask the authors of the Virgo report on mental health and addiction to remove a controversial recommendation to create a safe injection site in Winnipeg. A draft of the report was mistakenly sent to reporters on Monday, but the final copy had one big change. It no longer included the safe injection site recommendation raising questions about the government's involvement in the independent review. I understand yesterday uh, there was a discussion that there was uh, maybe a dozen or so uh, things uh, that were discussed in terms of changes. Uh, I didn't ask him to make any changes. The health minister and political insiders say it's normal for the government to see draft copies of reports before they're finalized. But the opposition believes the change proves the government meddled. So what about the reports that recommended closing emergency rooms in the city of Winnipeg or the recommended cutting uh, the small class sizes initiative? You know, I think parents in the province would be right to ask whether or not this government's uh, actions that are having a real impact in the classroom and at hospitals are in fact guided by the experts. Global News compared the draft and final version of the report. The only major change was the removal of the recommendation for a safe injection site. Amber McGookin, Global News. As you heard, the Minister of Health, Seniors and Active Living, Kelvin Gertzen, said he didn't ask for the safe injection site recommendations to be removed. Dr. Brian Rush told 680CJOB on Monday that he removed the recommendations himself. At the end of the day, I had a final opportunity to go back through the report. I made several changes in the last two to three weeks. And I really sat down, looked at that recommendation I got a lot of feedback from the harm reduction network, but I didn't have a lot of hard data that I, I really felt I needed at the end of the day to make that recommendation. So I, I took it out. Nobody encouraged you, either political or non-political, from the province of Manitoba? No, absolutely not. Yesterday on the news with Richard and Julie, the health minister was in studio to discuss the report as a whole. Here is the minister on supervised injection sites. My view on on supervised injection sites is the same uh, as anything within addictions and mental health. Uh, It has to be backed up by evidence. Uh, and we have to make sure that we're getting the most value for our dollars in that. The reality and the challenge that I have as health minister is not just true in addictions and mental health, it's true in, in everything in health. 
I'll get 300 proposals, um, all of which are good proposals and all of which will help somebody and, and some amount of people. But the reality is we can't do everything. There is there is a capacity issue. Uh, and and so you, you try to rank those things. You try to say, what can we do that will have the most impact on the most amount of people? Uh, and so any evidence around uh, supervised injection sites would have to be the same uh, as that. And Dr. Rush indicated that he would like to see more evidence as well. If I may editorialize for a moment, it would appear the minister isn't a fan. And clearly the opposition is a little concerned about how this came about. But if the opposition parties want to build a case for supervised or safe injection sites, let's see that evidence from them. And then let's ignite that debate on its merits. Is there a chance the government massaged the report? Absolutely. It wouldn't be unprecedented. Should consultants' reports be built independently. There's a separate conversation to have on that subject too. Can we just agree to, in my opinion, move on from here and see the rest of the report implemented, massaged, and talked about? Because clearly there's a deficit between the services needed and the services provided. One of the most talked about shows in Winnipeg is Cavalia Odiseo. You can't go too far without seeing a billboard for it. The grand event has returned to our city for a final time. It was here in 2015. It's now on until June 17th at the White Big Top at Keniston and Sterling Lion. Few of us were lucky enough to check it out last night, so we wanted to tell you what we thought of the show. Shanley Vidal was there. Jeff Braun was there. I was there. Uh, Mackling was not. He had other commitments, uh, but hopefully he'll be able to check it out. So, Shanley, uh, we'll start with you. What did you think? Uh, it's funny. I'm not. I don't have an affinity for horses. I'm not really a horse person. I never didn't grow up with horses. I've never ridden a horse. I kind of a little fear of horses because uh, I they could bite me. I that's totally changed now. I have such an affinity for horses. As soon as the first horse just comes out at the beginning, my jaw dropped and pretty much stayed open for the the for the dur- duration of the show. It was. Amazing! It was uh, an exceptional experience. It was more than just a show. It was there was like the the music, there was the the visuals, the acrobatics, the horses. The horses were incredible. Yeah, and and it it just pretty much left me speechless. They can still bite you, you know. <laughs> what did you think, Jeff? Them now. <laughs> what did you think? I loved it. I, I thought it was great. I wasn't. I'm not a horse person either, but uh, it very much won me over. And the acrobats, the guys doing the flips on that, that blew my mind. Made me feel bad about myself and my athletic ability. Yeah, that's, I had the exact same feeling. <laughs> it's like, well, I guess I shouldn't complain when I'm like, oh, I've been standing for 20 minutes. I'm tired. <laughs> I'm gonna sit down. Yeah, I thought uh, the acrobatics that. It was this. It was a, a, a strange show in the sense that you got a little bit of everything, right? It had acrobatics that defy physics. It had beautiful music and artistry. We heard seventeen-year-old Winnipeg uh, singing sensation Maria Aragon. She gave us a demonstration last week, and she was magnificent. And then you've got the majesty and nobility of these horses. You know, the these creatures that uh, once you know, we st- people still use to ride into battle Ooh. on the or on the racetrack, and uh, now for our entertainment in this. Wonderful show. It I, just was. Uh, it was unique. I did have a bit of that thing that I that I get that, that keeps me from watching things like figure skating or equestrian, where I'm too nervous that they'll wipe out. That like it to take. I'm just the anxiety of that. So when these people are doing the, like holding onto these rings, going way up in the air without a net underneath them, the acrobats was like, come on. 
Yeah. You know, I was like, just please don't fall, please don't fall, please don't fall. And the horses doing their tricks. I was like, please don't run into each other, please don't run into I, each other. You know, <laughs> I, I felt a little bit like that just just at one point, but I, I I knew that these people are professionals. They know what they're doing. They've been doing this. Some of them have been yeah. doing this for, for six years. And the thing is, this is like the last time you you have a chance to see it here in Winnipeg because it's it's going to be a, in, in a permanent location soon. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah, we don't know. We tried to get that information out last night. They're not. They're not. They're not uh, saying anything yet. It's not going to be at the intersection of Sterling Line Parkway <laughs> and Wilkes forevermore. Well, we yeah. I, I wish. Yeah. And you, Shanley, and you, Jeff Braun, you're more hardcore than I am because we the show didn't end till like ten o'clock. I hightailed it out of there, but you guys stayed for the backstage tour. How was it? it you know, it was great because I was with my mom and my boyfriend and my friend Nadine, who grew up on a farm, loves horses. She knows every single type of horse. She was telling me all the breeds. And so, you know, we had to do do the backstage tour, and it was it was wonderful to see, um, you know, the where all the horses in their pens. And then they had a, like three of them were just hanging out, and I got to pet a horse for the first <laughs> time ever. I got to pet a horse. Didn't bite me. Didn't react. And didn't kick you. Didn't <laughs> kick me or, or, or anything like that. And then what was cool is we got to. Um, which I didn't expect. We got to go one st- a step further, and there's a giant hill on the stage where all the horses come up, and we got to go up the hill. All right, Shanley Vidal, Jeff Braun. Yeah, they had this hill. The stage was massive. It was it had like half the size of a football field, I bet. It was crazy. Yeah, baby. Who's this now? ZZ Top. God, why? Had I taken another ten seconds, I would have been able to figure that yeah. out. Yeah. So, well, it, well, now that I, you know, now that I hear it, much like Yanni or Laurel, uh, <laughs> it's it, you know, there's there's no going back. Would have taken me a second to figure it out. But. <laughs> That's Brett McGarry. I'm Greg Mackling. He's behind the glass, Jerry, and joining us on the line from. I hit the post. Viva Las Vegas! I should never ever sing on the air. Good morning, Brittany. Good morning. How are you both doing today? Well, we're great. Is it 537 in Sin City? (laughs) It is. You guys have me up very, very early this morning. (laughs) We don't buy that for a second. You've been up all night. (laughs) Absolutely not. Okay. Well, thank you for doing this. Always great to talk to you. And uh, do you want to play that uh, Laurel or Yanni audio for Brittany? I'm interested to know what she hears. All right, Brittany, here we go. Laurel. 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 What do you hear? Definitely Laurel. Mm-hmm. Okay, your brain works. Love it. Can you believe there are people hearing Yanni there behind the Not glass chair? Not even cherry? a little bit. Not even a little bit. Hey, uh, is Yanni Yanni in town in Vegas or what? I don't know. Actually, uh, it's it's been a few hours that I've been here now, and uh, I have to tell you guys, there was a bit of a scare on our flight when we were landing. We did three landing attempts. In Las Vegas. Um, the first time we went around and apparently there was a really bad tailwind. And as we were about to land, you could feel the plane speed up and just kind of take off and go back up. And no one had a clue what was going on. And then we did this. We circled for about 10 minutes. Same thing. People started getting sick on the flight. They didn't know what was going on. 
And, you know, the pilot finally came on and said, we've hit this tailwind and, and we're having issues landing. So third time was a charm here in, in, in Vegas. So that was how my trip started. Oh, wow. boy. <laughs> Well, maybe game three will be the charm for the Jets tonight. I guess we'll find out. Uh, I saw uh, an Air Canada post from an Air Canada flight yesterday going from Winnipeg to Vegas, and they had the We Are Winnipeg towels laid out on every single seat of the aircraft. Nice. Have you already bumped into folks from Winnipeg? Oh, my goodness. Winnipeggers find Winnipeggers. I am staying at the New York, New York Hotel, so I got here uh, about 6 o'clock last night and checked in, put my bags upstairs, and decided to kind of go and wander around um, and, of course, get lost, as I think everybody does in, in, in Vegas. I hadn't stepped probably 30 feet from the elevator when I met my first Jets fans, um, Jets fans that lived in Winnipeg 30 or so years ago and had moved to uh, Vancouver Island and we're here supporting the Jets, wearing their jerseys. And uh, Ted is one of the gentlemen I met last night, and he wears his jersey so proud everywhere he goes. Here's some of that chat. Ted, you are a Winnipeg Jets fan that has traveled here to Vegas to watch the team. Why did you need to make it all this way to come watch? Well, I had an opportunity. I got a ticket, and it was a no-brainer to get on the plane and fly down here and take it in. You haven't lived in Winnipeg in, in a few years. You moved away. Why are the Jets still your team? A very good question. I, I, I've had other teams that I've followed, but uh, it always came back to the Jets. And uh, I don't know. When you're from Winnipeg, they tend to just grow on you and be there for life, I think. Tell me a little bit about what you've already found here. You're wearing your Jets jersey. Uh, you've been talking to some of the cab drivers and the bartenders. What are they saying just about the atmosphere with hockey in Vegas now these days? Well, I would say that uh, overall that in Vegas here, the, the Golden Knights are so greatly embraced and uh, they're, they're the city's team. Uh, being from Winnipeg, I'm sort of frowned upon, I would say, but but yet in a good way. You were wearing your jersey even just walking through the hotel here, uh, and you've worn it in other cities as well. What is it like wearing a Winnipeg Jets jersey in enemy territory, as you will? Consistently, I get results or, or comments or feedback as to go Jets or uh, Winnipeg. I've been to Dodger Stadium in LA, uh, a number of other different professional sporting item, uh, professional sporting venues, and yeah, uh, greatly uh, uh, recognized. Tell me a little bit about just the excitement of being able to see the Jets now in the third round of the Stanley Cup playoffs. Well, yeah, first time for for all of us, and uh, yeah, it's uh, it, it's so exciting. The emotion in Ted's voice is palpable there, Brittany. I, I tell you, Jets fans find Jets fans. As I was sitting talking to Ted, he was wearing his jersey. His friend was not. And this woman and her, uh, I believe it's her boyfriend, came down. And we just heard this scream of, go Jets, go. <laughs> and she comes over and everyone's hugging each other. And she started showing me. She had a, a Jets jersey dress made. Oh, my. She nice. actually lives in Mexico. <laughs> she <laughs> she moved from Winnipeg like 35 years ago. 
and got this jersey made from a seamstress and her boyfriend surprised her with this trip to Vegas oh, to see the wow. team. So they are here for both games. So she sent me a couple pictures. This jersey dress is unbelievable. And like I said, it, it didn't take long. The moment I walked off the elevator, I already saw a Jets jersey. And it, it doesn't quite compete with the size of the Golden Knights jersey that is on Lady Liberty here. Oh yes, I've seen that. It's it's obviously really? massive. Yes, yes. Oh my god, it's I very look that up. cool. Hey Britt, what's your Twitter handle so people can start seeing some of these pictures? And we'll talk to you in about an hour's time. But uh, yes, we want to see this uh, this uh, jersey dress for sure. Uh, what's what's the Twitter handle? It's at Brit at Global, and I will send that tweet out right now so you guys can see this dress because we all know that the costumes people come up with in Winnipeg have been outrageous and that's I think for me part of the, the best parts of playoffs is seeing what people show up wearing for the whiteout. Well I, um, <laughs> I'm a napper. So, I don't know if you'll be able to get a nap between now and the time we talk to you next. You'll probably just be working, but we will talk to you in just a little bit, okay Brett? Sounds good. Talk to you guys soon. Global News reporter Brittany Greenslade joining us live from Las Vegas. And speaking of uh things that you wouldn't expect to see wearing jerseys. She just mentioned uh, Lady Liberty in Las Vegas. And I, I, all you got to do is Google Lady Liberty, Lady Liberty Vegas Golden Knights jersey, and you'll get a whole bunch of hits. Yesterday at Cavalia Odiseo, they had this miniature horse. Only brought him out twice, but in both cases, he was wearing a Jets jersey. <laughs> A horse. A miniature horse. In a Jets jersey. Yeah. I think I saw a goat in a jet sweater the other day. Yes, on, on, the goat, our... on the goat yoga on <laughs> Global News Morning. That's right. On this May long weekend, Queen Victoria's birthday, there's a pretty big wedding happening on the other side of the pond, as they say. When a couple's getting ready to tie the knot, many details to look after. Many complications that can arise, such as how to, to decide who should receive invitations on a special day. Now, when you're getting to that bottom of the list and you've reached capacity, there are cuts and trades and decisions that need to be made. That is a normal part of the process. But this can be an even more difficult task when it comes to family members that you perhaps don't want to invite because you're not all that close with them, Brett. Prince Harry and Meghan Markle will wed this Saturday morning, and there's already been a lot of drama about certain members of Meghan's family not being invited, so we have reached out to someone to tell us more about proper wedding invitation etiquette. Lou Bayer, civility expert, joins us live on 680 CJOB. Lou, good morning to you. Good morning. Lou, there's no more polite person on the planet, at least that I know. So that's why we reached out to you. How do we handle this dilemma of not inviting people who from the outside looking in should be invited, if I could put it that way? Well, I think that's interesting. That should be right. By, by whose opinion should they be? Uh, in this case, I think the royal wedding, there's going to be some protocols and some background checks and some some probably pretty legitimate reasons why some people aren't invited. Uh, but for the average person getting married, I suspect it has to do with budget, first of all. And so you have to prioritize, you know, who do you have the, the uh, relationship with that is going to carry on beyond the wedding? Who do both uh, partners get along with? Uh, who's going to behave themselves at the wedding? I mean, there's all kinds of factors, right? Yeah, because I remember when I was uh, engaged and we were trying to to map out the guest list, We, I think we were looking at, I don't know, we were hoping to keep it to 100. 
And very quickly, we realized that was not going to work because you start to think about family members and then extended family members and then their significant others and maybe their kids. And at, and then you realize, well, now the people I want to invite aren't going to make the cut. Like, where do you, dis- at what point is it okay to say, mm-hmm. you're not coming, I want this person to come? Right. I think sometimes, you know, for me, when I'm, I'm helping people cut down their list, I'll say to them, you know, if you didn't have an obligation, you know, if it wasn't, if you weren't saying I should invite this person who is actually family to you and family doesn't have to be a blood relative, right? So maybe you have a mentor or a work colleague that you've spent time with for 20 years. Maybe that person really feels like a sister to you. And maybe you haven't spoken to your blood related sister for five years. You know, there's an obligation maybe to consider the blood relative, but I would say invite the person who you consider to be a sister in action, right? A sister in action. I absolutely love that terminology. And I'm not, I have a fairly large family. I'm the oldest of of, uh, five kids. And so my siblings were obviously invited to my wedding, but I have brothers in action and I have never heard that terminology before. I'm writing it down, Lou. Thank you for that. (laughs) So Lou... Is it bad to, let's say, for example, you invite one of your friends and uh, this person isn't dating anyone at the time or maybe just started dating someone. Is it okay to say we're inviting you, but only you? No, you can't bring a guest. Absolutely it is. And I think sometimes you just have to say to people, we we really want you to come. We have a budget or, you know, my uh, parents and in-laws are... um, footing the bulk of the bill and so we we each have a certain number of people on our list um in order for us to have you we we just have to ask that you come alone there's there's nothing wrong with that the person has the option to decline the invitation if their significant other or you know the person they've been dating for three weeks is going to cause a big ruckus and they say i'm not going to come as a result then that's okay. That's their choice. But, you know, I think you have to just go into it anticipating that I have to invite the people that are going to wholly support the marriage, who are going to come over for, you know, dinner on a Tuesday night, 10 years from now, you know, who actually thinks that the the marriage is going to last, you you know, all of those things, right? It it can't just be uh, based on obligation. It's, it's, Things just don't work out well. Should that discussion and that outlining that scenario take place in a phone call, Lou? We've only got about 60 seconds left here. Uh, The one where, you know, hey, this is the situation we want you to come, but uh, it's pretty tough to express that either in an email. Should that be a phone call? Always. Always a phone call, especially if it's a blood relative who you know you're not inviting. Uh, Always pick up the phone because there's insult that lasts a long, long time by email for sure. The website is civilityexperts.com. Lou Bear, the founder of this incredible organization. If you'd like to connect with them, do so on the internet. Lou, thank you for this as always. Thank you. Bye. The eyes of the world will be on Great Britain this weekend as Prince Harry and the aforementioned Meghan Markle get married. But for Meghan, (laughs) sorry. It was her trepidation, sorrow in my side for Megan. Uh, she's been dealing with family drama leading up to her big day. Global Nationals Redmond Shannon joins us live from London with more. Good morning, Redmond. 
Good morning, gentlemen. I'm actually in Windsor, the, where the wedding is, looking across at Windsor Castle, a beautiful, beautiful location. And uh, the, we're less than 72 hours away now from the big day. So let's start then with Thomas Markle. Yesterday, he reportedly said still wanted to walk his daughter down the aisle, saying he wanted to be a part of history, but later revealed he would be having major heart surgery today. So do we know where things stand with Meghan Markle's dad? We are three days away, as I said, from a royal wedding, and we don't know for sure if the father of the bride will walk his daughter down the aisle. A remarkable set of circumstances, but it, it all stemmed, it sort of sparked off with this controversy with those apparently staged photographs of him in an internet cafe looking at photos of his daughter and soon-to-be son-in-law. And then he said he didn't want to go to the wedding because of the controversy with that. Then he said he didn't want to go to, or could not go to the wedding because he's having heart surgery. So it's a lot of things are, are up in the air right now. We're not sure, but it does look like he won't be coming and won't be. He was due to meet the Queen, of course, and Prince Philip in advance of this. It looks like he won't be coming, and it looks like we could have the mother of the bride, uh, Doria Ragland, walking her daughter that, down the aisle. And, you know, that's not very traditional, we might think, but it, there is a precedent for this. Uh, Queen Victoria walked both of her daughters down, or two of her daughters, rather, down the aisle after the death of Prince Albert. So there is a royal precedent for something like this happening. Now, Redmond, in the meantime, TMZ has an exclusive on their site this morning with Megan's half-sister, Samantha Markle, with the headline, You can't censor me, Megan. I'm an American. What is Samantha Markle saying that might need censored in some circles? Yeah, well, I think we need to take this with a a pinch of salt via the 30-mile zone because it it was the way the the question was phrased to her. They had an interview with her that she took basically on her cell phone in a car, so it was sort of an impromptu quick interview with her, and they said, we hear that Meghan Markle doesn't want you speaking in advance of the wedding, and she said, well, I'm an American. We've got freedom of speech, as if, of course, freedom of speech doesn't exist elsewhere, but she she insists that she shouldn't be shut, uh, she should shouldn't be told uh, she can't speak. One one has to remember that these half-sisters haven't really had any relationship for, I think, three years now. So uh, it's it's a bit acrimonious. And, uh, well, it does make, it does give us a little bit of a, a connection, really. For any of us who have been involved in a wedding party, we know that, you know, relations between in-laws don't always go smoothly. So, you know, the royals are no different to this. But to give Samantha Markle her due, she did, her due, she did admit that the whole controversy with the photograph in that internet cafe was her idea. She says she put her father up to it. But really, we it's, it's a bit messy, isn't it, with three days to go to the royal wedding? Redmond, we only have about a minute left here, but the palace announced the bridesmaids and page boys today. Who's going to be a part of this ceremony? Well, we have some very special Canadians on that list. We have 10 in all. So six uh, uh, bridesmaids, all children. Um, top of the list, of course, Prince Princess Charlotte, Harry's niece, age three. We have two two goddaughters of Harry, two goddaughters of Meghan, and along with them, Ivy Mulrooney. Yes, the, the granddaughter of uh, former Prime Minister Brian Mulrooney and the daughter of Ben and Jessica Mulrooney. Jessica, great friends with Meghan. And then for the page boys, Prince George, of course, along with a godson of Prince Harry, 
and two of the Mulrooney grand, uh, grandsons as well, Brian Jr. and John. So we'll have three little Canadians uh, down the aisle with the royal couple on Saturday afternoon for to watch out for. Well, I had zero interest in watching this wedding in any case, in any way, shape, or form, and I'm suddenly very jealous <laughs> that I'm not included in these festivities, and now I'm going to have to watch out of spite, I suspect. I believe it, yeah, I believe it's on TV. You might be able to catch it. I, I, I think, you know, you might bump into some coverage if you're lucky. <laughs> Redmond, thanks so much for this. It's always great to hear your voice. Thanks, guys. Have a good one. Global Nationals Redmond Shannon joining us live from Windsor, where in 72 hours, the royal wedding will occur. The boss? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Bruce Springsteen, of course, playing on Broadway right now. I'd love to go to New York right now and see that show. I think I would take Jeff Braun. If I won enough money and could just go for a couple days to see that show, I would take Jeff Braun. Sorry, Jackie, but I know Jeff would enjoy it way more than you would. New York, <laughs> Los Angeles, uh, Miami, San Francisco might be places where you think of that have a lot of hotel rooms. Yep. The four, the four hotels at the corner of Las Vegas Boulevard and Tropicana Avenue have more hotel rooms than all of San Francisco combined. Seriously? <laughs> Wow. That is what a massive destination Las Vegas is. And that's part of the reason why so many Winnipeg Jets fans are able to even go down and contemplate being a part of the playoffs. Our own Brittany Greenslade is down there right now. We spoke with her about an hour ago. Britt, did you get some Starbucks? Did you get uh, some uh, waffles in you? What, what, Not what yet, you been doing? but... Greg, I know how much you love fun facts, and yes. you threw some at me yesterday, so I found some of my own about oh. Las Vegas for you. Okay, I'm listening. So you told us yesterday how many hotel rooms there are in Vegas. 103,000, uh, I think it was? Uh, it's it's more than that. It's uh, it's about, uh, it's just shy of 150,000. Wow. And those are 2015 figures, but if you were to come down to Las Vegas and stay one night... In every single room, it would take you nearly 300 years. <laughs> <laughs> it would take you a long time just to stay in every hotel. Yes. Never mind yes. every room. Mm -hmm. nice and one. also, uh, the Las Vegas Strip, 4.2 miles long. Actually, not in Las Vegas. Well, what, do, what do you mean? It's technically not in the city of Las Vegas. It's in, uh, I believe it's Clark County. It's actually in uh, a neighboring town called Paradise. How about that? Had no idea. So, She's yes. full of facts. She's <laughs> see, you know what? You've already paid for your trip. All like the value <laughs> of what you've brought to the conversation already paid for. And how about this one last thing for you? Even though this is a gambling me mecca, the lottery is illegal in Nevada. No state yes. lottery in Nevada. <laughs> see, I this is what I love. Fun facts. <laughs> Fun so, facts and statistics. <laughs> so statistics, obviously a big part of hockey. The Jets down there now, Mark Shifley and uh, the gang uh, determined to bounce back and do what they did in Nashville, and that's to win on the road. Did you put any money down on the boys or what? I have not. Would you like me to throw some down for you? Yes. I'll eat transfer you the money. The, the, the one thing I've learned in my, my years on this planet is never bet with your own money. <laughs> don't bet with your own money and don't bet with your heart. Never yes, bet so with your heart. If you want to transfer me some, I will throw some money down for you. <laughs> I'm happy to do that for All you. All right. We'll, we'll, we'll look at that. 
It's uh, there are so many Winnipeggers here already. I thought I might see some on my flight yesterday. I flew out of Winnipeg uh, about 11 a.m. Transferred in Minneapolis and came down. There were a lot of media on the plane, not a lot of uh, Jets fans. We didn't see any jerseys and a lot of people that were coming down for work and conferences because there's obviously so much going on in Vegas. Um, but the atmosphere down here, even when I was checking into my hotel, it says "Welcome, Golden Knights fans." Um, this, this city has really embraced hockey so crazy in the past year. It's, it's incredible. I told you guys when I talked to you about an hour ago that even Lady Liberty here is wearing a Knights jersey. So, uh, Vegas, obviously not what a lot of people thought about when you think NHL hockey. Definitely one of the big, uh, things to do down here now, and especially during playoffs. Now, Brittany, uh, oh, and by the way, wow, I'm just looking at the dress that you posted on your Twitter. Uh, yeah, this is quite nice. Did you look at this earlier, Greg? The, the dress that this woman no, had fashioned I'm doing up? It now. Pretty sharp, Winnipeg Jets dress. But are you going to be at the game tonight, Brittany? I will be. I will be at the game. I will uh, I will be working, so I will not be in, in my Jets gear. Um, but there are so many people here supporting. I actually ran into a guy last night who's um, apparently sitting in the owner's box for the Knights, but he's a Jets fan. So I was, I'm was. i doing my best to convince him that he still has to show up in a Jets jersey. <laughs> how, is he, how did he even be allowed, or how is he allowed into that box, being that he's a Jets fan? <laughs> He's he's a friend, uh, a friend of a friend, I believe. Um, so he was wearing his jet gear last night. Um, it's it, it's going to be touch and go. He says he doesn't think he can wear it tonight, but he was going to try and wear a white shirt, uh, maybe a nondescript white shirt, so that he was still supporting the team, even though he was sitting in the opposing team's box. Are you a Seinfeld fan, Brittany? I am, yeah. There's that episode where Elaine gets invited to the New York Yankees game and it's in the owner's yes. box and she's wearing the Baltimore Orioles cap. <laughs> and that, of course, causes a gigantic ruckus. So this is something that's been in the lexicon of pop culture for a long time about the about the etiquette of being in the owner's box. And even though you're a fan of one team, you're in the owner's box of the other. That'd be tough. I think I might just have to de- decline the uh, invitation. Yes, well, even uh, during the Nashville series, we talked to Brett Wilson, who's one of right. the co-owners of the Predators, and he flew in on a private plane into Winnipeg for one of those games and had a a friend of his coming off the plane in a Jets jersey, and he said, "You could you can wear that on the plane." He was he wasn't happy he was wearing it on the plane, but he said, "You can wear it on the plane, but you are not to wear that in the box tonight. You are to either to." you know, be in a nondescript shirt or you are to be in a Predators jersey. So it'll be interesting to see just how many uh, people we see in, in Jets jerseys and Jets gear down here. There's a big party that happens just outside T-Mobile Arena. Uh, that gets going uh, about three hours before puck drop. Um, so expecting to see lots of people there, even the people we ran into last night saying they were going to be heading there. And uh, still still tickets to be had. I know uh, I've, I've spoken to a few Winnipeggers that have come down and been able to snag tickets, uh, even cheaper than they were able to get them in Winnipeg. So uh, it, it's, a, it's a good time to be able to come down and, and see your team here. And hopefully, hopefully the boys bring it on the ice tonight as well, because I know everybody would love to see that win in Vegas. So, Brittany, you've had probably dozens of uh, suggestions on where you should eat while you're in Vegas. Have you uh, made a decision on where your uh, first stop for today will be? Oh, I haven't. I'm not sure where the best best option is yet today. I've got I've got lots of work to do still. <laughs> so I've got some of that going on. Um, at, do you guys have breakfast suggestions for me? 
Breakfast suggestion. Oh boy, I don't know about breakfast, but uh, but for lunch, I the I palms. Would, that's too far off the strip. Yeah, for lunch, I I'd suggest the patio at Mon Ami uh, Gabby at the Paris Hotel. Then you can watch the fountains. The fountains are best viewed at night, but it's still a nice spot, and the the servers there are tremendous. Get some sangria. Yeah, (laughs) maybe after work. I'm not sure that uh, the boss would approve of that one. Yeah, I don't. I don't. I don't encourage uh, good behavior. But uh, whatever. You're you're in Las Vegas. (laughs) There's no alcohol in sangria, is there? (laughs) No, I don't think so. No, it's totally uh, alcohol free. It's got all. It's filled with fruit. That's right. it's like a Shirley Temple, right? You got it, Brittany. Same Brit- thing. Brittany Greenslade, <laughs> we'll talk to you tomorrow. Have a great time today. We'll, we will be hearing from Brittany throughout the day here on 680 CJOB and, of course, on Global News tonight at 6 o'clock. One of the easiest and simplest activities for getting fit is walking. In fact, I've heard, you know what, uh, if you want to get in shape and you can do it, get a dog. It's a good way oh, yeah. to force you to walk. So we've invited our fitness expert, Catherine McKenzie of Surefire Fitness, on the show to tell us more. She's also going to tell us a ver- uh, tell us about a very special birthday. Whose birthday? It's Surefire Fitness's 10th anniversary. Well, congratulations. Yeah, I know. Time flies when you're having fun, for sure. What's the website? Surefirefitness.ca. Right on. Congratulations and happy birthday. Thank you. So walking. Why is this? Uh, why is it such a good and simple fitness activity? Yeah, it's simple because you don't need any equipment or anything to do it, and uh, because it just takes a bit of time, and because it can increase your endurance, your bone mass. It's good for your mental health. There are numerous benefits. So, yeah, get out there and go for it. Now, the whole Fitbit phenomenon and the whole idea of counting your steps every day, do you buy into this whole 10,000 steps is the magic number of steps, or do you have to do a certain amount of steps at one time in order to get any sort of benefit from it? No, the benefit can be cumulative for sure, and with the fitness tracking devices, it's kind of a nice tool to create some awareness, because a lot of people don't realize how inactive they are, especially if they're stuck at a desk job all day long. Uh, If they kind of have a way of tracking and they see they've only got a couple hundred steps throughout the day, the Fitbit or the little reminders that you can get with some of the technology can help create that awareness. A magic number, the more you're moving, the better it is. So if you can do more than 10,000, great. If you're doing 5,000 and you were previously doing only 1,000, then that's an improvement for One sure. One of my friends posted the other day, they had 23,900 steps or something and worked out to over eight kilometers. I mean, that that it can add up very quickly once you get up into the yeah, higher numbers, right? for sure. And it's great to have planned activities. So setting aside a time each day to go for a walk, but generally people who get that many steps, it's because they're adding little bits throughout their day. And as we mentioned before, it, it all kind of adds up. So taking a walk at lunch or during your break, or I know you guys like to do laps of the building in the wintertime so that you're not sitting all day long, uh, parking a little further away. We've talked about that before. Uh, getting up and just walking around little bits throughout the day. I know when I'm at St. Bonaventure Hospital, sorry, Brett, I know that I make sure that I park as far away as I can and walk across campus, Yeah, you know, as opposed to parking as close as I can because there's all sorts of in underground 
passageways and tunnels and stuff. So why not take advantage of that? Of course. And you can do the same thing when you're going shopping or running errands, just parking a little bit further and it, it all does add up. Uh, shopping is another one. People underestimate how much walking you do when you're shopping. Uh, when you're traveling, a lot of times people don't realize that they can walk from A to B because they're unfamiliar, but they can see so many more things just by walking around and kind of getting those steps in. So. Well, we talked about uh, Brittany Greenslade being in Las Vegas and uh, anybody who's ever gone to Las Vegas very quickly realizes just how much walking you have to do if you are on the strip because everything looks so close and then you realize it's not close at all. <laughs> Correct. When you are out for a walk, when, you, when you're, you're not just out in your day-to-day stuff, but you're actually going for a walk. Is there a proper form or speed you should be trying to achieve? Yeah, everyone's a little bit different depending on their level. Uh, I generally encourage people to stay away from technology when they're on their walk. So if you're hunched over looking at your phone while you're walking, that's not necessarily great for your posture. So imagining that you're standing tall and letting your arms swing freely, that kind of... uh, loosens up the muscles in your lower back, so to speak. Those are the ones that get really tight when you're sitting for so long. So kind of letting them swing freely definitely helps in that regard. And then just in terms of your uh, upper back posture, standing tall, having your chin sitting over or your ears, sorry, sitting over your shoulders instead of having your chin dropped forward, looking at your phone and then appreciating your surroundings. There are some great trails and greenways in Winnipeg now, uh, kind of taking a look at the scenery around you can kind of help with that mental health piece as well. What about footwear? Footwear, I generally recommend uh, sturdy footwear, so something that's supportive. You don't want to walk long distances in flip-flops or sandals that don't have support because you can get some overuse injuries, especially if you're not accustomed to being on your feet for long periods of time. Uh, If you do have some specific foot issues, like you overpronate, your foot kind of tilts to the inside with each step or oversupinate when your foot tilts to the outside with each step, then you can get fitted at some specialty places for shoes that will help kind of correct those imbalances so that you don't get any injuries. But most people can get away with a decent pair of running shoes. Like somewhere like Canadian footwear or whatever, are they pretty good at figuring out if you have something that might be impeding your walking and and help you find the right shoe for that? For sure. A specialty place like Canadian Footwear or Running Room, they'll do a gait analysis. So they'll watch the biomechanics of your foot and leg as you're watching, and they can recommend certain footwear to correct patterns that you might have. I've heard that word twice today before I let you go. What what does that word gait, your gait, what does that mean? It's the way you walk. That's the best way to explain it. Yeah. Surefire Fitness celebrating 10 years with an event on June 19th, the Surefire Workout at the Ballpark in the outfield before taking in a Winnipeg Gold Eyes game. Uh, you can reserve tickets by the end of May, and once again, you can do that at your website. You got it, surefirefitness.ca. It's going to be a great day. Some of the Gold Eyes will be joining us, Goldie, Goldette, and then we'll be uh, taking in the Gold Eyes game. Goldette, so. that's her name? Yeah. I didn't know it was Goldie cool is that. not a bachelor anymore, I know. <laughs> Catherine McKenzie from Surefire Fitness, once again, congratulations and happy birthday, 10 years. Thank you. And get out there and take a walk. I used to walk to work before we uh, got switched to a slightly earlier shift. And, slightly uh, earlier? Yeah, a, little, a little bit earlier. It's not. I wouldn't be feel safe anymore, but I do miss walking to work, so I try to get it in after work is done. You could walk home. Yeah, but Only once. Yeah, then I'd, I got to, what am I going to do about my car? We'll figure something out for you. (laughs) It was two decades ago that T.J. Weeb lost his life. He was murdered at the age of 20. T.J. had had some involvement in the drug world before he died, so his family collected money 
to help create a greater awareness of the dangers of drugs in youth, and the fund grew to approximately $8,000. In order to keep and sustain his cause, the TJ's Gift Gala evening was planned and held. The first one, May 16th, 20, or pardon me, 2007, it raised $54,000. The 12th annual event is taking place tomorrow night at Canadian's Polo Park. To tell us more, we are joined in studio by Karen Weeb, who is TJ's mother. Karen, welcome. Thank you very much for joining us this morning. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. So TJ's gift, what is TJ's gift? TJ's gift, uh, we created it after TJ died. Uh, We needed to put the money from the funeral somewhere. And uh, so we decided that it would be a great idea to put it towards schools and kids where kids are helping other kids not to do drugs. So that's the whole basis of TJ's Gift Foundation. We involve youth uh, as much as possible in helping other kids to avoid drug involvement. How much of TJ's story do you share openly, Karen? It depends on the age group. I work with kids right from K to 12. Um, So for the little wee kids, we just talk about making choices that will keep you safe every day. Um, with the high school kids, uh, depending on the group, we will go right into what exactly what happened to TJ, how he died, um, and uh, what happened to his killers. Um, we're we're very uh, open and um, ex- explicit, I guess, about what we need to um, be to help kids realize that the reality of what happens when you involve yourself with people that don't know. Um, you or don't care about you, I guess, is is really important. And then, you know, in the middle years, junior high type ages, uh, we talk about making safe choices. We talk about TJ's story. We don't really go into the details. It's all up on our website and and everything we give the kids has our website address on it. So they can uh, check it out and I encourage them to do that. How much of that, of the message overall is making those good choices about who you spend your time with? I'm the father of two boys that is going to be, that are going to be 12 in the next eight weeks here. And so this is a part of our conversation, not regularly, not every day, but certainly on a monthly basis, something will happen either in our community or in the news. And we use it as a reminder to talk to our kids about this. But how much of the conversation, of the equation, is it about, you said the words, good choices? Uh, Our whole approach basically is uh, about good choices, about choosing to be safe. Um, And I, I don't spend a lot of time on it, but I talk to the kids about being role models for their younger siblings, for the kids on the street. I talk to them about the fact that uh, that. Uh, peeling out of your driveway, you know, in your car when you get your license is not safe behavior either. I don't go into that a lot, you know, it's just sort of what I what I add into it. Um, but I, I talk to the kids about the importance of mm, there's no do-overs in death. You know, you make a mistake and you die and that's it. And you everybody else lives with the consequences of that forever. Um, and I talk with the kids about that. And, and, you know, I talk to them very much as a mother uh, of a of a child who's died. Our guest is Karen Weeb. She joins us in studio. She is the mother of T.J. Weeb, young man who was murdered 20 years ago after his involvement in the world of drugs. And tomorrow night, Canadian's Polo Park, T.J.'s Gift Gala Evening. The first one was held on May 16th, 2007, and it raised 54000 Dollars. So this year, Karen, uh, TJ's Gift Gala evening happening tomorrow. What will uh, what can people expect at this gala? 
Well, we've uh, had our, all of our galas at the Canadens Polo Park, and I'm telling you, they do it up right for us. They are so good to us. Uh, we have a five-course dinner that is unbelievable. It is so good. And um, we have a, a dance as well. Uh, Midlife Crisis is a band, and interestingly enough, uh, one of these the student uh, one of the people that are is in that band. The lead singer is a former student of mine in my former career as a music teacher, uh, so that's really exciting for me. Um, and they're a great dance band. And then we have all kinds of auctions. We have um, uh, a couple of trips that uh, Game of Thrones trip through Ireland nice. that we're auctioning off. Yeah, and we've got a, a wine tasting uh, trip to San Francisco in the Sonoma Valley. And then uh, Home Run Sports has been such a fabulous sponsor of ours for like 12 years. And they donate a box for the gold ice that we auction off. And then, of course, there's all the you know other stuff that we have. Uh, Brett wanted to know about your shirt. There's a better high. It's got some waves on it, and uh, it looks like five uh, emoji-type characters for some happy faces underneath. Well, you know, uh, TJ's gift, because because I'm a teacher, uh, TJ's gift has worked extensively with school divisions. Uh, we started with the Louis Riel School Division, and in fact, when we raised that $54,000, we gave it all to Louis Riel uh, and formed a fund with them to have kids help kids in their in their schools um, avoid drug involvement. Um, so we've done a lot of work uh, with Louis Riel and other school divisions. Seine River is another huge supporter of ours, as is Frontier School Division. Uh, I do a lot of work with their with their kids, and um, this particular shirt I'm wearing came about as a result of um, a project that I did with Louis Riel, and uh, they work very hard to have their kids do healthy living, make safe choices in all kinds of ways. And so we were part of a conference that they did um, with kids uh, where we had high school kids that were working with junior high kids. Um, and these were the shirts that they they used. And I just think it's a fabulous shirt. It's a great message. This is a great story. Of course, it, it started with such a tragedy, but you are... To put it bluntly, making the best of a horrible situation and the legacy that you've created in your son's name is something I know you're very proud of and ought to be. Thank you, Karen. Thank you. Is this the music for Total Recall, Jerry? That's uh, Conan. Conan. Oh, it's similar. Some of Schwarzenegger's uh, themes are quite similar, but uh, yeah. I should be shamed for that mistake. I shame you. Okay. I shame you now. Okay. Thank you. Go home and flog myself with, uh, what's that thing that guy uses in the Da Vinci Code? Like off on his... On his back. Yeah. Uh, duh, we'll have uh, to look that up. Well, maybe our guests know. It's a cat of nine tails. What's that? A cat of nine tails. Okay, there it is. <laughs> Just get you to lean in a bit closer. We didn't even have to go to the listeners for that. <laughs> Yeah, this weekend, hey, fans of sci-fi and fantasy are going to be kids in a candy shop because KeyCon is coming to the Radisson Hotel downtown. It's in its 35th year, and it's still going strong. So to give us a preview, we're joined in studio by, you just heard the voice of Cliff Stornell, who is KeyCon 35 co-chair, and Katie Helgeson, who handles marketing for the event. Katie and Cliff, welcome. Hi. So Hello. you're the co-chair. Cliff, why don't we start with you? 35 years of KeyCon. Uh, for those who are involved with this and familiar with it, it's obviously a big deal. But for those who are not, what is KeyCon? Um, KeyCon is the longest running um, science fiction fantasy sort of general media convention. 
in in Manitoba. Uh, we bring in you know authors, specifically like literary guests. We've had you know people in the past like Robert J. Sawyer, things like that. Cool. Um, this year we have uh, Keith Barker as our guest of uh, our author guest of honor. Um, it's it's sort of a I say general media con because we have people who are into science fiction, we have people who are into fantasy, we have people who are into gaming, the art side of it, and everything else along the way. You, you mentioned Robert J. Sawyer, and uh, he has the coolest title outside of author of anybody I think we've ever interviewed, Brett. And he's a futurist. And and it's like, can I have that job? Like, what an outstanding uh, occupation, so to speak. How much of, of what you're talking about over the weekend is things like artificial intelligence and the and the other things that, that we think are the future, uh, but 30 years ago, uh, the future is sort of now, right, compared to, to, to what we're t- we were talking about then. That's definitely the case. I mean, when we look at, you know, I'm sitting here looking at, I've got my phone in front of me with my notes, but I mean, it's 30, 30 years ago, we would have had paper and we wouldn't have imagined what we can do with our phones nowadays. And um, over the course of the weekend, we've got what we call programming items, which are generally like hour to two hour long panels and discussions. And uh, I think we've got five tracks of those over the weekend and about 99 different programming items, roughly. Wow. And some of them certainly do talk about, you know, science fiction and, you know, where it goes from here, what what the the cultural significance of things are and things like that and how it impacts it. I know there's uh, at least one panel on SpaceX and stuff like that. So it's happening Friday, Saturday, Sunday, uh, KeyCon 35. And Katie Helgeson, I see that uh, the theme is... Is Team Magic versus Team Tech? Tell us about that. Well, this year we have a uh, we have a theme of Magic versus Tech. So there's two different factions. When you get your membership, you select which faction you're for. You're either Team Magic or Team Tech. Uh, throughout the year, we've had several events where you can earn points for your factions. And uh, throughout the convention, there's also going to be ways to earn points for your conven- uh, for your faction. Um, through different things, like through the dealer's room and through other events that we're planning on having. What's the, the what's the dealer's room? Uh, the dealer's room is uh, it's a vendor room. It's basically there's a bunch of local dealers that have come down to sell their wares. Um, the nice thing about it is uh, it's open to the general public during dealer's room hours. So it's something that doesn't always require or doesn't require a membership for people to to come and check that out. So it's basically you go there, you shop. <laughs> okay. Now, Cliff, people might hear some of this stuff, and I think there's probably a common reaction that I, you probably have to deal with where people be like, oh, that sounds nerdy. I think it's cool, but a lot of people might look at, look at frown upon this kind of stuff. But when you look at the landscape of pop culture, when you see particularly what dominates at the box office, this is the mainstream it really has become the mainstream over the years. Um, we have gone from, you know, almost being like an underground small event to, you know, 500 people in a hotel. Um, and I, I realize 500 isn't a huge number, but it's it, it's a growing number and we're always getting bigger too. Um, and like you said, you know, Infinity War is huge at the box office. Marvel's got, I think, 12 or 12 years of films now. Uh, before that, we've had other movies along the years, and you know that's where people's money is going nowadays. It's all going into that. Even if you look not just at the box office, but if you look at what's on TV, 
know, DC has what five shows out this season, I think. Just, uh, that's just on the CW. Never yeah. mind Krypton on Space and uh, Jerry. Are there any other DC shows scattered about? I think that's just it. There's six. I think that's it. Or is it? Oh, Black. Yeah, there's five because Black Lightning. Sorry, Black Lightning DC technically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Black Lightning, Arrow, The Flash, DC's Legends of Tomorrow, Supergirl, and then Krypton. Do you watch that? By the way, Krypton. I, I haven't, haven't watched Krypton yet. For the it, end of the season I saw the trailer and I kind it. of did the, yeah, no, I don't have time. <laughs> <laughs> you know what's funny? Because you, you talk about mainstream, what's in the mainstream right now. And I sit and I love to listen to Brett interact with people that are passionate about the same things that he is. And I could be sitting at a table at a pub right now and the three of you could be talking about hockey. Because it's with the same amount of knowledge, with the same amount of perspective. And so there's not, I don't think, a large difference between those that are fans of sci-fi and fantasy. Fans of anything, people who are dedicated, uh, compared to someone like me who's really into the sportsing stuff. For sure. I mean, the, the, the root of the word fan is fanatic, right? I mean, or the other way around, I guess. But... You know, we're all fan- we're all fanatical about something, right? You know, there's people at work who talk about hockey, and you know, they start asking me questions about it, and I have to ask, "Is that the one with the puck?" Right? <laughs> I, I really don't know half the time, right? Um, it's just not my thing at all, right? I, I appreciate and I applaud, you know, Dojetsko and everything else, right? Right, but, right. Um, well, we're, you know, it's great to see, but at the same time, for me, it's the the science fiction and the media side of things. Well, Cliff, I, I I'll tell you about a chat I had with one of my friends who's heavy into sports, and he said to me, don't you think it's, you're a little old to to f- go to movies and read comic books and follow the exploits of these superheroes? And I said, oh, so you think a grown man can't enjoy what guys in, in tights and shiny uniforms are doing? <laughs> and uh, he said, yeah. And I said, oh, so what exactly are the guys wearing on the baseball diamond and the football field and the hockey rink, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera? And he stopped talking to me for the rest of the day. <laughs> that's a that's great way to deal with that. That's because you put him in his place and you were bang on, Brett, bang yeah. on. So, Katie, the Kamikaze Snowmen, that's just, just the name alone sounds awesome. Who are these guys? Uh, they're our master of ceremonies for this year. Um, they're one of our special guests that we're having I I actually know a bit more about them. They're friends of mine from Fargo. Oh, neat! Um, they they've actually been master of ceremonies and um, and fans of themselves of like multimedia and uh, science fiction. They do a lot of musical stuff. They do uh, like spoof songs about you know like eight bit video games and stuff like that. Uh, eight bit video games. I caught my kids playing uh, one of those uh, early versions of MLB. Okay. On uh, on the computer the other day, I'm like, "What are you doing?" He goes, "This is the coolest thing ever." You know, the ball moves slow enough; I can actually see it. <laughs> nice. Uh, yeah, RBI baseball was probably the best baseball right, game right? for Nintendo. Absolutely. So, Katie, uh, what draws you to this kind of stuff? Well, I'm I've been going for several years now, but uh, I I just like the environment. Everyone's so nice there, and uh, they have hospitality suites on the 15th floor, which is basically themed rooms that people can go to. Um, I have a group of people that runs a hospitality suite as well. Um, and it's it's just a fun environment to be in. There's uh, different themed rooms. Like this year we have um, we yeah. have the Magitech Cafe is our official suite, uh, which is basically emerging of magic and tech it's supposed to be like a common ground for uh, people to congregate 
and they serve food and snacks throughout the weekend, and they're going to be showing magic and tech theme programming and having different contests. So I just like the environment and the different things that you can do there. There's so much going on that you're never bored. <laughs> well, and I think the common thing with all these various conventions that come through is it sounds like it's the sense of community that, uh, I mean, we just heard it from Katie. She uh, she feels kind of at home there, right? You guys create this this welcoming place where people who like this stuff can go and enjoy it with, uh, with like-minded people. Most definitely. Um, I raised two daughters going to the convention. Um, last year, my wife and one of our daughters were co-chairs of the convention. Um, you know, and I've had, you know, my, my, when my daughters, you know, were 16, 17, and they, they'd be wandering around the convention doing their own thing, visiting with their friends who had been going for years too. And, you know, I, there was no question in my mind that they were safe, right? People would come to us and they'd go, oh, just so you know, so-and-so, your daughter's over here or your daughter's doing this right now. And I'd go, okay, well, she's fine. I know where she is now. And it was great that way. It's just a, a friendly, safe environment. I know you bring your daughter to the convention. Yeah, I brought my daughter to the convention since she was like a few weeks old. Wow. So she's three now, <laughs> and she's still coming. Well, the, the passion that you both have for this is palpable, and I'm sure it's reflective on the event. Uh, how can people get tickets? How can people attend? Uh, just come down to the Radisson Hotel. Uh, we start Sunday or Friday afternoon. Friday afternoon basically is when registration opens. Uh, the tickets are sixty dollars for the whole weekend. That gets you access to everything. Uh, you can get day passes on the day of, and um, like I said, there's stuff going on all weekend into the wee hours of the morning. So It's Manitoba's premier science fiction and fantasy literary convention, KeyCon 35. KeyCon.org is the website. It's happening at the Radisson Hotel at 288 Portage Avenue, Cliff Stornell, KeyCon 35 co-chair, and Katie Helgeson, uh, who handles marketing for the event. Thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you for having us. Thanks for having us. 947 on 680 CJOB. We'll find out what Jeff Courier's got. Oh, you've been shamed. I know. On the text messages. I know. Tom um, shamed me. Yeah, you've been shamed. Because I didn't recognize the Conan theme. It's not shame, shame, double shame. I know. No, I deserve it. Thank now you. Now I know your girlfriend's name. Isn't that how that goes? I don't know. <laughs> Cliff's no laughing, though. I think he gets it. <laughs> That's all the time we have. I'm Brett McGarry. He's Greg Mackling. Thanks to Behind the Glass, Jerry and Shannon Lee Vidal. And thank you for listening to CJOB. Na, 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 na.